0: is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Hello, hello, Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. Australian produce will be on the table in Europe this week, Germany to be specific. The Federal Ag Minister is over in Berlin working on the Europe free trade deal.
1: We've made very clear to the EU that we're not going to settle for any deal. There has to be meaningful gains to Australian producers in terms of the quotas and the quantity that we can export.
0: You'll hear what else he's arguing for today and you'll catch up with a Catherine cattle agent who's heading to Australia's biggest performance horse sale where demand from camp drafters is huge.
2: Camp drafters... Pretty much has been the fastest growing sport in Australia for the last 10 years. And even though we probably breed 200,000 horses a year Australia-wide, it's a pretty hard hole to fill the demand um, because it's growing that fast.
0: You'll hear that and plenty more coming up on the Country Hour this hour. And if you would like to get in touch, you know what to do. 0487 991057 is the SMS line. That number again, 0487 991057. First up this afternoon, though, recent wild weather has caused headaches for fishers in the north. Between the recent monsoon and the impact of ex-tropical cyclone Ellie, it's been a bumpy start to the year. Grant Barker is one of the directors of Northern Wildcatch Seafood in Darwin. He's now having to truck seafood from Darwin to Perth via South Australia.
3: Uh, look, in the first instance, uh, the position of Ellie being east of Broome for quite a number of days, very strong winds offshore in Broome and as it moved closer, obviously, to Broome, the winds increased and we couldn't unload our vessels there. It wasn't safe to unload. So we, our company diverted our boat up to Darwin to unload and the other company diverted his down, I would, I would imagine, to Port Hedland or somewhere. So there's always a way. Around it, but it did create some problems for a week or two.
0: So, is that sorted itself out now, or uh, how are you um, offloading, and, and how are things going at the moment?
3: Yeah, it has sorted itself out as the low-pressure system's moved away. Our vessel will unload in uh, in Broome on the, this following Monday, the, the 23rd. Um, the the fact that the the Fitzroy crossing bridges out has created problems um, when we unload our vessels in. Darwin, for example, we can't move freight down the west, western seaboard now. We have to freight down through the middle of Australia into Port Augusta and then the freight will get pulled west from there so we can still do it. It just takes a day or two longer and there's of course an added freight cost for us.
0: So do you cop that freight cost or is that something you can pass on to the end consumer?
3: Uh, no, we cop that freight cost. Um, it's just It's just part of the Part of the gig this time of year, the monsoon and the cyclone season always throws up challenges and that's, that's one of them.
0: How much of an extra cost is it for your business?
3: Uh, look, I'm not really sure. I don't run the admin side of the business on more operations, but um, you know, it could be 20 cents a kilo or something like that on, on 15 tonne of product, which adds up.
0: And then you also have the added cost of having to get your vessel that was due to offload in Broome over to Darwin. Um, that's that's got to be a, an extra cost as well.
3: Yeah, look, it, it can be. Um, as it was, that, uh, the weather was pretty bad where that boat was anyway, so he ended up coming into Darwin early. But, yeah, there's added, added um, fuel costs um, when this kind of event happens.
0: Did you say it was an extra two days on the road for that fish?
3: Yeah, I think I think going down through the middle probably adds an extra day and a bit. Um, I'm not sure quite what the logistics of that are, but it does add a bit of time. Yeah.
0: Does that I mean how how is it when it rocks up is it is the quality changing at all?
3: No, the quality's fine. This this fish we catch up here in the warm waters lasts very well and has long shelf life, so an extra day or two on the road has no effect on the quality.
0: What about operations here in Darwin? You can hear, obviously hear there's, there's some um, activity going on in the background here down at the duck pond, but um, having an extra boat come into Darwin instead of going into Broome and the, the monsoon obviously would have been a, a bit of a headache for you at that time as well. So how are things changing here?
3: <clears throat> yeah, the monso- a strong monsoon like the one we've just experienced in Darwin, that's probably the strongest monsoon I've seen in 10 years here. Um, it, it tends to bring most of the fleet in. There were only two or three boats still working through that weather and they were the bigger fish trawlers. The rest of the 24-metre boats and under all were all tied up in Darwin. A few that didn't tie up got damaged and came in eventually anyway. So it's really a, a time of the year where we tend to tie our boats up and do some maintenance, as you can hear in the in the background there with guys doing maintenance on their boats. During those bad weather periods, it's a good time to... Tie your boats up and do do some refit work, and then wait wait for the weather opportunity to to send them out to sea, which we've done. Now we've got all five boats back on the water.
0: Does that change supply for the local market here or any other markets in Australia?
3: Uh, not not really. Um, there's. It's, it's Australia's domestic market's quite funny. It can it can get oversupplied, and then there's downward pressure on price, and then it, the market shortens up when you get weather events like this. So you just it kind of evens out over the year. It up and downs a bit.
0: You said that it's kind of getting back to back to normal. Um, obviously, you've got that extra route from Darwin to Perth for for a quantity of your fish. When do you expect things to be able to go back to business as usual? Do you have any idea at this stage?
3: No, not really. I think the, the major hiccup is with the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge, which looks like a, a major, you know, rebuild. Um, I don't see them fixing that in the short term. So to supply our Western Australian customers out of Darwin, I think we'll be running down through to Port Augusta and west for a few months to come at least. It will sort itself out eventually. Hopefully we don't get another rainfall event like we've had in the Kimberley. That just does enormous damage, as you're seeing on the east coast now, but we are a chance to because it's early in the monsoon season, so there'll be more bad weather to come.
0: You don't consider uh, taking the vessels in through Broome instead of into Darwin and then trucking it straight from Broome to Perth?
3: Yeah, we may unload. We may do that. We may unload a couple more, uh, a couple more of our vessels in Broome. Um, again, it's all, it's all very weather-dependent this time of the year, which is why I tend to stay in Darwin this time of year. It's, managing the monsoon is challenging, and you know we have good electronics and good equipment to do that, but you have to keep an eye on the low-pressure systems that are likely to form into cyclones, and we move our fleet around based more so on that than anything else. You, we need to be careful where we have our boats geographically.
0: Your main um, focus, I guess, is the water, but here you've seen a huge impact thanks to the roads. What would you like to see done or changed to try and lessen these impacts in the future?
3: Look, I'm not really sure there's much can be done up here. In a, in a strong monsoon season and a, with a low-pressure system like that one, it's really Mother Nature that is in full control and I, I don't think there's anything governments or or people can put infrastructure in place to avoid that I think you've just got to mitigate the damage after the events so um, it's too hard to call that kind of thing
0: So let's talk about Darwin Fish now what's on the table at the moment what should we be looking out for in the local market here?
3: Uh, it, this time of year there's a lot of gold band snapper being caught So um, and that's being unloaded in Darwin by my company and others, saddletail, Snapper, Cod, Red Emperor, it's all good fresh table fish, so there's plenty of it being landed at the moment.
0: Thanks for your time on the Country Hour today.
3: No worries, pleasure, thank you.
0: Grant Barker. he's one of the directors of Northern Wildcatch Seafood in Darwin. Having a chat with me this morning down at the Duck Pond, uh, it's not just seafood though, feeling the impact of these road closures in the north of Western Australia. Fruit and veggie growers in the East Kimberley, in the Ord Valley, they've seen their freight costs double with that major road, the only road between the East Kimberley and the south of WA cut off, just like the fishing companies you heard from Grant Grant Barker there, Uh, fresh fruit and veggies are now travelling to Perth via the NT and South Australia. Chris Robinson runs Oriah Orchards in Kununurra. He says transporting his fruit the long way round to Perth doesn't come cheap.
4: Currently, we're having to transport through the Northern Territories, South Australia into Western Australia through Port Augusta. And the consequences of that are basically, one, it takes about twice as long to get there. I've got product leaving Kananara today. It's not expected there till Thursday, so that's four days to get to Perth. And uh, that subsequently also doubles the cost of freight. So it just means we've got to be far more careful and on the ball with what we're sending Otherwise, you get to the point where um, things become unviable and you start losing money. Freight rates are already um, excessively high. They have been for probably the last 12, 18 months. And then now to have to cop a double on that, it just, just means you've got to be more careful.
0: So what produce has been impacted?
4: Uh, well, limes is one. Limes will become extremely marginal. So uh, I will, probably won't be sending limes out of Kununurra into Perth. Pawpaws, we're being very careful with now. They are still still viable, but uh, the margins are are certainly significantly reduced. Uh, The increased freight now, depending on how they bill us and this sort of, comprises somewhere between a quarter and a third of the total value of the crop.
0: Wow. Okay. So how do you manage that?
4: Oh, We've explained the situation to our market agents and uh, asked them to try and recover that from the consumer, how successful they are in doing that. We have a good relationship with our market agents, so, so they'll try the hardest, but whether the consumer's prepared to pay the extra cost of the extra freight to get stuff to, to market, I'm not sure. Mm.
0: What about shelf life of the produce that you are sending down to Perth? Is that impacted at all by these, these long journeys?
4: Yes and no. Certainly with poor, poor I think we can hold them long enough to get them there. Things like limes and stuff where the consumer or the markets want them as hard green or dark green colour. There's an extra time with those on the road and they might lose some colour um, and not look quite as good. But yeah, I think yeah, normally we can manage that and hold our, our fruit long enough to, to get it in on the extra couple of days of travel.
0: And I suppose your inputs will also be impacted by uh, these increased freight costs as well.
4: Yeah, we've got a, uh, we're expecting a, a truckload of seedlings to come up from Perth end of March. And uh, that's only what, six weeks away. And uh, they'll have to come the long way, which means that there'll be plants, uh, seedlings in a truck for four days instead of two. So that increases the risk on those. And it'll also double the freight on those to get here. They're minor issues. We'll, we'll work through those when the time comes.
0: That's Chris Robinson from Araya Orchards in Kununurra. He was speaking with Steph Sinclair about the distance he's having to face to get his product down to Perth. And you are hearing about the impact of the road closures in the north of WA. Seafood, fresh fruit and veggies going from Darwin and the East Kimberley to Perth via South Australia. Going the long way around. And this is happening, of course, because of the damage to the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge on the Great Northern Highway. You'd have seen the photos coming out of the Kimberley of that bridge buckling in the floods from ex-tropical cyclone Ellie. A decision is set to be made within the week on what's to happen with the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge. Peter Saul is WA's main roads de- from WA's main roads department. He says engineers have been taking a look at the bridge to assess the damage.
5: Clearly uh, one of the piers is gone totally and so that was washed away uh, but there's also further structural damage on some of those piers that are still standing um, and that's probably caused by the, the bridge buckling under the weight of the water um, and those bursts, uh, substructure beams, those steel, uh, have also been damaged so uh, we're highly likely to make a decision this week on is it sellable or can we use it uh, temporarily uh, so that's the decision that will happen hopefully this week or early next week uh, if it's not deemed to be uh, serviceable, then the option to build the upstream floodway at ground is four kilometres to the northern side and upstream side. Uh, the old crossing, is called. Uh, the old crossing was built in 1930, I think, still used by the locals uh, during the dry season.
6: Have you seen that lately? Though I believe there's been extensive damage to it and the banks. What do you know about the state um, of that causeway?
5: Yeah, no, i have se- we haven't seen the floodway yet because it's not visible um, but the banks are damaged but that that can be fixed that's not a big job um so if the decision or when the decision is made to, to build that uh, lower crossing, then we need to get in there as soon as the water gets to a level that we can get access to it um, and probably put you know, a number of steel beams and bits and pieces and uh, culverts and things and rock armour and uh, we probably need about 1,300 cubic metres of concrete. Then we get in there and build it. Not sure of the time frame to build it, but the quicker we can get it, the better.
0: That's Peter Saul. He's the Director of Operations at Main Roads in WA, speaking with Vanessa Mills about the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge. So a decision to be made within the week on whether to demolish or salvage what's left of the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge. But it does sound as though still likely to be some time before that freight route between the east and west Kimberley reopens and that is impacting on businesses in the Territory as well. Um, any new bridge built at Fitzroy Crossing, Peter Sewell has said, would be two lanes and will be built higher than the crossing that was there previously. Quarter to one on the Country Hour. Let's have some Paul Kelly. This is Rally Round the Drum. That's Paul Kelly, Rally Round the Drum. It's 10 to 1 on the Country Hour. Before you heard from Paul Kelly, we were talking about the impact of the flooding in the Kimberley and how that's playing out with supply chains for the Territory and the East Kimberley as well. Gary says, yes, a second way into the Kimberley is needed. Either the Tanami or the Laverton to Docker River Road, the Outback Highway, needs bitchamising. But Gary says he's not holding his breath for that to happen. If you've got a thought to add, you can get in touch on 0487 1057.
7: Nominations
8: are now open for Farmer of the Year, with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends, and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au, proudly supported by the Kandinnan Group and ABC Rural.
5: Hello, my name's Stephen Rose and I have a nursery just north of Catherine, and I love to listen to the country Hour.
0: Good to have you along this afternoon, Michelle Stanley's my name. The Federal Agriculture Minister is travelling to Berlin this week promoting Australian produce. Murray Watts says he'll be pushing the green credentials of Australian farming as the government seeks to secure a free trade deal with the European Union.
1: Uh, When it comes to the trade agreement, we're obviously pushing for the best possible market access for Australian producers. And we've made very clear to the EU that we're not going to settle for any deal. There has to be meaningful gains to Australian producers in terms of the quotas and the quantity that we can export. Uh, But we'll also be pushing back on the geographical indicators point that's been raised by the EU our position is that when we're talking about Prosecco or some of the other products that this is under discussion, um, these are not um, geographic issues. These are uh, issues of the types of grapes or the types of cheese and those sorts of things. And we don't think that Australian producers should be restricted in their use of that.
0: Are you prepared to negotiate on animal welfare or chemical use when it comes to negotiating a free trade agreement with the EU?
1: One of the things that we know the EU are keen to do is to ensure that there are some strong environmental uh, and sustainability measures as part of the agreement. And uh, depending on the specifics of those, we're up for that conversation. Uh, As I say, the other purpose of this visit to Berlin is to demonstrate to the world that Australian agricultural producers are far more sustainable than what is often recognised. Uh, I think, unfortunately, particularly because of the former Australian government's position on climate and sustainability issues our producers sometimes attracted a reputation that wasn't deserved. The certainly the Australian producers that I meet with and, and visit farms of are fully committed to sustainability. And, and I'm confident that we can meet uh, what the EU is looking for. Um, I mean, I think what's important as well is for the EU to understand that there's no one size fits all approach that works when it comes to sustainability. The EU are taking a certain approach, uh, very heavy on regulation and herd uh, reduction and things like that. We don't think those sort of measures are necessary in Australia or many other countries uh, to achieve sustainability, and we're keen to make sure that the world understands where we're coming from on these issues.
0: Economists in your department at ABARES <coughs> did some research last year which showed that if agricultural subsidies were reduced, emissions could also be reduced from livestock. Would you be talking much about that research
3: this week?
1: Absolutely. Uh, That's also one of the messages I'll be taking to the EU in particular, is that You know, we know that there's a big debate around global food security at the moment around the world for good reason. Um, We've got climate conditions that are impacting on production in some countries. Of course, the war in Ukraine is having a massive impact on food security around the world as well. Um, But one of the things that Australia is pushing for is to make sure that we do keep trade as open as possible. Unfortunately, the tariff increases and other subsidies that we're seeing some countries introduce for their farmers actually are environmentally harmful. Um, They encourage poor environmental practices rather than good ones. So continuing that fight that Australia's made for decades now for tariff reduction and for free trade in agriculture, uh, not only do we think that that is a good way of meeting the world's food supply needs, but it's also really important to make sure that the sustainability of agricultural production gets even better.
0: Australia's Minister for Agriculture, Murray Watt, speaking with Kath Sullivan. The minister is also travelling to London this week. He's calling on his British counterparts to ratify the UK-Australia free trade deal early this year after Australia ratified its part of the agreement in late 2022. Four to one on the Country Hour. In North Queensland, cane farmers are scrambling to save their fields from a rat plague. Millions of native rats are chewing through paddocks and paddocks of sugarcane, as Lucy Cooper reports.
9: Native rat populations are booming in North Queensland. Just over an hour north of Townsville lies Ingham, the heart of the sugarcane industry. Local cane farmer Greg Keller feels hopeless as the rat populations, now in its millions, decimate paddock after paddock.
10: You know, the, the rat damage is evident. When you look through the crop, you can see throughout the crop, see what the rat damage has done there. Um, the crop should look like that, but sadly it's all on the ground and it's been rat chewed. They'll chew the crop, uh, you know, 18 inches off the ground like so, and then the crop falls over and they may nibble another bit. But... Sometimes then they'll go and find a new host, and they'll they'll climb that stick and start to eat that stick as well. So they will decimate a crop very very quickly.
9: It's not just the presence of the rats that is terrifying, but what they do to the sugar quality.
10: So that's the evidence of the rat damage inside here. So you can see where they've climbed the stalks and had a had a chew there. And um, sadly, this particular piece of cane's finished. It's uh, it's starting to rot from the inside there. So that'll that'll go. Um, that'll have a funny smell. It'll go to. Like sour and the sugar content of that cane's basically done, it's finished.
9: Farmers have never seen rat populations so high. Lawrence DeBella, the manager at Herbert Cane Productivity Services, says it's all thanks to ideal conditions over the last two years.
11: That crop's uh, flat on the ground, so a lot of those ground rats and climbing rats are actually in the crop right now. We've had an ideal season probably the last two years. We haven't had a wet season, so they haven't drowned in their burrows and haven't frozen out in the, in the cold rains. So we've had the ideal uh, wet seasons for the last two years to see rat numbers start to increase. With the lodge crop, we've got a heap of weeds now starting to merge through the, the canopy, and so rats need protein to actually start to have their young and come in a season.
9: With millions of rats in the fields, Lawrence de Bella says it's hard to keep up with their breeding cycles.
11: Breeding pair in 12 months can have 460 offspring roughly, so those numbers can increase very rapidly and every couple of weeks they're having a new litter of, of, of mice. So that's the issue we're trying to deal with now, is that recurrence of more and more and more.
9: It's an issue across the region, which had devastating repercussions on what was already a very tough season. Chris Bodsworth, chairman of Cane Growers Herbert River, says entire crops have been wiped out.
10: Rat plague is
12: like, again, I've never seen it so bad. It's uh, district-wide, and there are some paddocks, that growers elected not to cut because they didn't think, well, they were sure the CCS wouldn't get through above seven, so they wouldn't get paid for it, and the rats are just decimating it. But um, in this district, we do have a permit to aerial rat bait, and growers will certainly, when the weather improves, will be probably taking up that option to try to control them because... I've seen some paddocks that are completely destroyed.
9: As the crop disappears before his eyes, Mr. DeBella is hoping approved aerial baiting will be the saving grace.
11: They're a native animal, so we've had to apply for a um, permit so with with Queensland government um, because we're trying to manage a native species. We'll have to report back to government uh, every three months and annually on what we've done. So we've actually got to tell them how many rats that we've we've killed in the process and um, where we're doing aerial baiting we have to provide the GPS tracks to show where the baits have actually been employed.
0: That's cane farmer Lawrence DeBella ending that report from Lucy Cooper. You can read more of that story online, just search for ABC Rural. Heading off to the news very shortly, after that you'll hear from the Bureau of Meteorology for a look at what's to come weather-wise over the next few days. Also, I wonder whether you've bought a tractor in the last 12 months. The industry is booming, and after 1 o'clock, you'll hear exactly what the numbers are doing. It's news time now, though. It's 1.
5: Uh, g'day. This is been Yon from TV Farms in Sydney Markets, and you're listening to The Country Hour.
0: Good afternoon. Michelle Stanley with you on The Country Hour. It is 5 past one Coming up in this last half hour, you are going to catch up with a cattle agent from Catherine who's on his way to Australia's biggest performance horse sale.
2: Campdraft has pretty much been the fastest growing sport in Australia for the last 10 years and even though we probably breed 200,000 horses a year Australia wide, it's a pretty hard hole to fill the demand because um, it's growing that fast.
0: Plenty of demand from camp drafters. You'll hear more about it before half past one. First, though, let's get some weather. Rebecca Patrick is with you from the Bureau of Meteorology. Hello. Good afternoon, Michelle. There's been a bit of rainfall about. What have you seen over the last 24 hours?
13: Yeah, it has been um, sort of scattered showers and um, and isolated storms around uh, throughout much of the Territory. Um, perhaps a bit less, um, so not so much in the in the south, but certainly the, the north and central districts. Um, the top rainfall that we had to 9am this morning was Nathan River over near the Gulf of Carpentaria, um, picked up 56.6 millimetres. And we also had nearly 40 millimetres at Coolabah in the Gregory District, so a few reasonable rainfall totals around, um, Although across the top end mostly it was around that sort of 10 to 25 millimetre range. And what do you think is likely to come over the next few days? Yeah, so today uh, we're seeing showers throughout much of the territory um, just starting to form up and a couple of storms forming now on the Tiwi Islands and around the coastal areas, um, expecting more storms later this afternoon, particularly through the um, central and, and northern areas again today. Uh, we've got that trough that's still sitting through the central district, so um, that's going to be another trigger again today for that thunderstorm activity. Um and uh, over the next few days, we're going to continue to see those showers and storms across the top end, continuing uh, mainly in the afternoons, but we are getting the odd um, the odd shower coming through in the mornings as well, if you, particularly if you're near the, the coastal areas. Um, it is pretty hot in the south at the moment. We're seeing temperatures a few degrees above average, um, with Yulara expected to get to about 40 degrees today, so quite hot down there. Um, but we do have a trough moving through um, later today and, and through tomorrow, moving through the southern districts. So um, we'll see just a, a, a small change later in the week for the southern areas. So it'll cool down for them? Well, you know... <laughs> Slightly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> changing to you know the mid 30s as opposed to um, around forty degrees yeah so, so it's still pretty warm yeah.
0: but but a little bit of relief from what the what you'll be feeling in the south at the moment that's right, yeah, and there's been talk of a potential monsoon trough off the the north coast where what what's the latest with that
13: yeah, so at the moment the action's a bit further east around Queensland I'm sure people have been hearing about the crazy rainfall totals that um, Queensland areas have been experiencing. Um, So, yeah, monsoon trough is going to be forming, um, well, has formed generally through the the Coral Sea, um, but we are expecting that to come back a little bit closer um, to us later in the week, um, but probably only getting into the the Gulf of Carpentaria, Um, and then uh, developing through the Arafura Sea, so to the north of the Territory. So probably not going to see too much in the way of monsoon or weather develop over the top end, um, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah, it could see a, a bit of an uptick in, in rainfall activity over the next few days. Very good. Anything else we need to be aware of
0: before we let you go, Rebecca? Um, no, I think we've covered most of it. Short and sweet. Thank you very much, Rebecca Patrick, from the Bureau of Meteorology. It is ten past one. January 26, the ABC gives you the best seats
3: in the house for Australia Day Live to honour country and celebrate the Australian spirit. A fireworks and maritime show on the harbour with performances from some of our biggest stars. Casey Donovan, Dami Im, Christine Arnoux, William Barton, Isaiah Firebrace and lots more. A concert for the country you won't want to miss.
6: Australia
0: Day Live, Thursday night, January twenty-six on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iview.
8: You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
0: Do you have any new machinery in the shed? Australian farmers splashed over $2 billion on new tractors in 2022. 19,000 new tractors were sold in the year. And the spending spree is tipped to continue into this year as well. Gary Northover from the Tractor and Machinery Association of Australia says it's the highest level seen in the industry since the 1980s.
12: We've just uh, seen the numbers for the full year uh, come through in the last couple of days, and it's been another fantastic year, another record for the industry. We're tracking around the 19,000 unit sales in tractors, which is the second year in a row we've been at that level, and we haven't seen those sorts of numbers since the 1980s. So, uh, quite another phenomenal year, really.
6: And is there any particular size tractor that has been selling well that's in demand?
12: Look, it's across the board, to be frank. All states and all sizes have been up. Certainly those smaller under 40 horsepower tractors have enjoyed a bit of a bump in the last half of the year. But, you know, the big ones, 200 horsepower and above, have been strong all year. They're 3% up. Queensland's been probably the standout state across the nation. They're 14% up on the previous year. Even WA have been strong again, another four and a half percent up for the year. So it's been it's been widespread.
6: Based off how things went for twenty twenty two being such a strong year, what would the mm. outlook be for this year, even though we're just only a few weeks into mm. it? How do you think mm. things are looking?
12: We've been sort of speculating. The industry can't sort of keep going at this sort of rate. When we think twelve, thirteen thousand 13,000 tractors has been a good year for the last you know, number of years, all of a sudden to be two years of 19,000 suggests to you that things might sort of come to a bit of a stop. But we don't think we'll see that in 2023. We think that demand is still strong. Um, we do think that demand for agricultural commodities looks like being another strong one this year and the government's temporary full expensing program has another six months to run, but all of that's being underpinned by used equipment prices. So farmers can trade in or sell their used machine for, let's say, very close to what they paid for it and get a newer model with all the uh, features that come with that uh, and and, and you know, be in good financial shape. So... We think that's going to continue for a while and that's probably one of the things that's driving these sorts of uh, continuously high levels.
6: And what's the wait like for new gear? Are you hearing from dealers that once it's ordered, say if you wanted to get a header for the next harvest, would you get it in time or is the wait still quite a way out?
12: It's it's still a problem. It's, uh, there's no doubt about that. But headers can be a bit different because m- many of the dealers are forward ordering in anticipation, so they're, they're taking a bit of a punt there. But if you're talking about yeah, if you want to order a large tractor today from some suppliers, you wouldn't see it till 2024. And indeed, with all the volatility that we're seeing in terms of supply chain and pricing what have you, most of those people probably won't even guarantee you a price for that at this stage. So yeah, that 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 situation hasn't uh, eased at all.
6: Are people still making use of the temporary full expensing program when it comes to upgrading their gear?
12: Yes, they are. But I'd have to say our sort of anecdotal advice is that it's not the sole reason for them making the purchase. It might have been early on where people were Taking that opportunity, but there are other factors that are contributing as as well as the temporary full expensing. It's not the sole reason for people buying tractors.
6: Higher interest rates have been a a, a big talking point, particularly um in the housing market. Is that having any flow-on effect at all to the machinery sales?
12: Look, it is. Uh, there's no doubt that people are starting to you know see that flow through to price increases and and financing increases, and the tipping point may well be near certainly compared to conditions 12 months ago, the cost of getting into a tractor is much
0: higher.
6: Do you hear many reports of what the weight is too for that gear to come in from Europe and offshore of where where tractors and machinery come from? Is there a long delay to in those supply areas?
12: It varies by the month. We We felt two months ago that Shipping uh, issues, for instance, had eased a bit. But just in this last month, we're seeing some, some subtle changes there. For instance, containerised freight has become a lot cheaper. And I think that's off the back of you know the effective slowdown in China. So people are getting containers, getting that cheaper and getting a product moving. Roro, on the other hand, has become much more expensive. In fact, we're seeing reports of prices increasing threefold there. And that's off the back of a range of things, uh, the volume of, of, of large product moving around the world, shipping congestion times, port congestion times apparently have really gone up. And with the supply of military equipment into Europe, that's also playing into the demand side of shipping. So, you know, in answer to your question, it, it'll change again next month. It's very hard to, to get a beat on what the, what the sort of status quo is and, and people are just uh, dealing with what's in front of them each, each day at this stage.
0: Tractor and Machinery Association of Australia Executive Director... Gary Northover. He was speaking with Cara Jeffrey. 19,000 new tractors sold last year, more than $2 billion worth. 16 past one on the Country Hour. Now, the Tamworth Country Music Festival is on this week. And at the weekend, the 51st Golden Guitar Awards will kick off. Performing at the event is this man, 14-time Golden Guitar winner Luke O'Shea. This is New England Sky. 14-time golden guitar winner Luke O'Shea. He's performing at this weekend's event as well, that one called New England Sky.
11: G'day, I'm Jermaine. G'day, I'm Caleb. And we're from from Territory Territory Bees. We're out here in Darwin's rural area attending to some hives, and you're listening to The Country Hour.
0: Yes, you are. Michelle Stanley is my name. Good to have you with me today. It's 20 past The nation's biggest performance horse sale and camp draft is a bit over a week away and one Northern Territory producer is preparing to hit the road and head south. Wayne Bean is one of the NT's only breeders who sells horses at the Nutrien Classic in Tamworth. He took away a whopping $125,000 for a horse last year. He's got three more horses to sell this year. And with prices like that, Wayne Bean says it's worth the thousands of kilometres of travel to be part of.
2: No, uh, we haven't got food, George. There you go, mate. You good? This is a spoonful of night. Uh, Acker George, his stable name. What well, you don't try and eat your microphone is He's a bit of a talking horse. He likes getting into things. If you leave the window down in your car, he'll pull the seat covers off and that sort of thing.
7: <laughs> yeah. Take me through, I guess, what you're looking for in a performance horse.
2: Well, first thing, we look at their breeding. Um, you know, we don't want to buck the odds by purchasing or breeding a horse that his parents or grandparents or great-grandparents haven't uh, done anything you know in the performance world so that's a good start breeding Uh, the second thing is you want to make sure the horse is sound he's put together properly he's got good angles in his hip and his shoulder a good length of back not too long and a good length of rein his neck and definitely not a a, a ewe neck a horse that comes out of his withers and shoulders well and a nice tidy throat latch good straight legs good bone these legs and a good sized foot to suit his body and once we've accomplished that we then need to um, identify how good his disposition is his temperament Um, that's going to determine his attitude and his attitude is going to determine his altitude in life so he could have a big heart be built right, bred right but if he's got the wrong attitude he's just not going to give his heart to you or um, any of his body parts so his attitude is really, really important
7: you're about to head down south for the big nutrient Ag sale. It's a long way to go, thousands of kilometres. Um, I take it, though, you know, you've been going back for years, it must be worth it?
2: It is. It's, um, you know, it's the biggest and best stage to sell a performance horse in Australia. Um, and even after all that distance and fuel and entry costs and preparation uh, the, the prices we've got down there have, 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 yeah it have you been know, three four fold of what we could have got up here so and we make a holiday out of it too we like doing it um, so it's a pretty good incentive to go back
7: and last year there were some records broken at the sale um, where's the demand coming from do you think and what traits are people looking for well, um, things are changing. I
2: mean, it, the demand's coming from us. You know, the camp drafters pretty much has been the fastest growing sport in Australia for the last 10 years. And even though we probably breed 200,000 horses a year Australia-wide, the race horses and camp drafters and cutters and all sorts of horses, uh, it's a pretty hard hole to fill, the demand, because um, it's growing that fast. And um, most of the people are, are from the cattle industry, I guess. Um, there's also a lot of, a percentage of people are, like of doctors, lawyers, accountants, you know, that just want to catch their horse on Friday afternoon and go to an event and have some fun. So generally I find the horses that, um, horses that are, are broke properly, uh, trained and absolutely quiet anyone can ride they've got no vices they got some breeding and um you know whoever buys them uh, if they're happy with them well they're going to be repeat buyers and that's what we're all looking for is to is to keep that industry strong and yeah not turn it into a dumping ground for horses that you know we just want to discard because we don't like them um we certainly don't take those type of horses down there.
7: And last year you managed to sell a horse for $125,000 did that come as a surprise? Yeah well
2: we never put a reserve on our horses, um, I've always believed that you know the only reason they won't sell is something wrong with them or they're overpriced um, so we like to think our horses are always sold before we leave here, we just don't know how much for or who to but um, the two horses we sold last year, um, you know, made $100,000 more than we ever expected. I mean, you always expect what you think you might get in the back of your head. So if the same thing happens again this year, um, I'll obviously be over the moon.
7: Who have you got the highest hopes for this year?
2: I think George, uh, mainly because he's, he's had all the training. He's got a good resume. He's got the most beautiful, unflappable temperament. He's 15, two hands, so he'll carry anyone, and uh, he's like soft as butter to ride. A child could ride him and stop him, and uh, yeah, he's got a good performance record. How old is George? Uh,
7: he's just turned seven year old. And how do you decide when is the time to sell? Well, it's it's a matter of, it's a matter
2: of uh, <clears throat> what's happening in in my life. I mean every year i want enough horses for myself and my wife to ride to compete on to have some fun and then you know you breed a few and you buy a couple of young ones and you end up with a surplus so there's probably eight or nine i want to sell this year in the next 12 months anyway and um yeah i mean george has only got one draft left to win and he becomes an open horse okay so they're allowed to win four drafts before they become and he's won three so once he becomes an open horse, I don't want to be carting. I've already got, you know, three, four open horses on the property now. I don't want to be carting a heap of open horses around. I want to be able to ride in the other vents like the maiden and the novice. Um, so he's, he's at an ideal age to sell. And, and, and you know, resume-wise, yeah, I can't really win any more on him. Otherwise, he'll become an open horse.
7: How about bringing horses back? Have you got any plans to, to buy One or two down there? Yeah, I always
2: buy one um, just so that I can participate in their incentive events which are worth quite a fair bit of money, you know, up to $100,000 depending on what you potentially can win. And uh, it's a whole lot of fun, you know, while you're down there. You're not just there to sell horses and have a holiday. You can participate in those events. So I always try and buy one. Um, Yeah, obviously... The ones you want always too dear, break the budget, but always find something. <laughs>
0: That's Catherine Cattle, producer and horse breeder Wayne Bean, catching up with reporter Max Rowley. Wayne's heading over from Catherine to the Nutrient Classic in Tamworth for Australia's biggest performance horse sale and camp draft. <laughs> Twenty-eight past one, it's time now to check in on the cattle market. Sam Hart has the details from Roma.
8: Good afternoon. There was an increase of 1,400 head to 3,800 yarded at Roma this week. Most of the yarding was sourced from local areas and the overall quality was good. Despite the seasonal conditions, restockers were competing strongly with feedlots on medium-weight steers, lightweight restocker steers and heifers. Lightweight restocker steers under 280 kilos left 20 lifted 25 cents, selling to 580.2 to average around 540 cents. Medium weight steers saw an increase in restocker activity, selling to an isolated 538 cents, with a fair sample to 500, with most around 460. Heavy feeder steers saw gains of 30 cents, selling to 450.2, with most around 410 cents. Good quality lightweight restock heifers sold to 488.2 to average around 425, a lift of 20 cents. Restockers kept medium weight heifers firm, averaging 399. However, feeder heifers lost 10 to 15 cents on last week, averaging 378. This has been Sam Half, the National Livestock Reporting Service.
0: 29 past one. That is it from me for the Country Hour today. But just a reminder, tomorrow the cricket will be back on your analog radio if you listen in the car or on the wireless so if you would like to listen to the country hour you'll have to do it online you can do it on the abc listen app or on your browser on the computer or listen back on the podcast wherever you catch your podcasts i'll catch you tomorrow from half past 12 have a great rest of your afternoon